Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's Interview Podcast. My guest this week is Carolyn Faye Kramer, who is the star of Filament's new show. Hello, Carolyn. Hi, how are you? Good. Tell us Good. about the show, since you are, you are the the star <laughs> of the show. You uh, Tell us about what show you're in and, and what it's about. Well, um, the show is called Eurydice. It's by Sarah Rule. Um, it was written in 2005, and it's a reimagining of the Greek myth of Orpheus and Eurydice. And it takes it and it turns it so it's from Eurydice's perspective. So she dies on the day of her wedding and finds herself in the underworld. Her memory is wiped away in the river of forgetfulness. And she reunites with her father, who passed away years ago. Um, she's guided and tormented and harangued by three stones who are described in the script as nasty children at a birthday party and propositioned by the Lord of the Underworld. It's a really beautiful... I love it because of the cleverness and the lyricism and the whimsicality it's a lot of fun. It's very touching, um, delightful, and tragic. Um, and it's full of these funny strangenesses that can be found in many of Rule's plays. Yeah, yes, them. and uh, I must point out that uh, mm -hmm. this production has uh, is a totally different take on Sarah Rule's play from the Victory Gardens production uh, from 08. Mm -hmm. It it is you, so. Tell us some of the concepts, because to me, uh, the the production uh, reminds me of a Looking Glass theater type show. Mm -hmm. Particularly with the with the the, uh, the the way it was staged, the way Julie staged it, uh, the runway stage, and the, and, yes. the, and so tell us about the challenge of of uh, doing it in that uh, loft space. Well. The cool thing about it was that when we found the space, it had, well, the runway, which was the idea that she had wanted, and these three window spaces, which are perfect, because when you look through the window spaces, it leads directly into another huge um, loft space, because it's performed in um, Lacuna Artist Loft which is an old macaroni factory that's been transformed into these studio spaces and now a theater. And when you look through those three windows, which are often like the spots where these three characters, the stones live, and different entrances for coming from the world of the living to the land of the dead, you can see all the way back through, and it's... Um, really kind of epic looking um, and unique. Yes, it is. And uh, on the opposite side, you have that the freight elevator that, that makes mm -hmm. for some unique entrances. Yeah, it's wonderful because in the script, it calls for an elevator that rains. And I'm, I didn't see the Victory Gardens production, but I don't know if the elevator yeah, it came rained. up. It did rain, yes. It rained? Yeah. Did it come up from the floor or go down? Did it the went, I believe it went down. Oh, okay. Yeah, I believe well, it. Um, 
we can use this actual old freight elevator and like the sounds in the space are really perfect. Like the echoing sounds and the old great sounds and like the huge sliding, we have a very heavy sliding metal door, which was already in the space. And we use it for a lot of huge entrances, like sounds of um, the Lord of the Underworld coming into the space. Um, yeah, it's so pretty t- cool. So tell us about um, about you and Orpheus at the beginning, and uh, your <laughs> your co star Peter Oilo and and the the early scenes, which I think really set up everything in the play. Mm-hmm. Well, Peter, who's quite amazing, he's also Filament's marketing director. He's playing Orpheus. Um, he wrote along with someone named Shannon Bangford, all of the music and the songs in the, in the show. So it's kind of amazing because the, in the script, Orpheus is um, the most amazing musician in the world. And the character himself wrote all the music. And I think it's pretty, it's pretty wonderful. Um, But so in the show opens with, Orpheus and Eurydice, and described in the script, there are two characters who are very much in love, very young, and um, you can see in the very beginning there are a bit of some holes in their relationship. Like, everything's perfect, but it's not entirely perfect. He's kind of obsessed with his uh, music, right? Exactly. He's, he's, it's that if you've ever been in a relationship where you can't, you can connect, but there's always something, um, there's a a slight barrier. Maybe you're asking a lot, um, what are you thinking about? Which is something that Eurydice asks a lot of Orpheus. So when she dies. I don't think I'm giving away too much by saying that, as it's in the description of the play, which you can see on our website. Um, it's her memory is washed away, and as she's regaining memories of her life with Orpheus, she can see things a bit more clearly about their relationship, the the wonderful parts and the difficult parts. And yeah. I don't know if I want to say anything else. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to give yeah. Away. <laughs> no, that's that's true. Uh, and and uh, uh, Orpheus doesn't realize what he's lost until he's lost it. No, that's it's totally true. He's very in his own um, musical mind, and then when Eurydice's gone, he kind of, well, as you said, loses it and starts writing her letters and songs. She will ask him perpetually play me the song that you wrote. He'll say, I wrote you a song, but then he won't play it for her. He's like, it has too many parts, which is, it hurts for Eurydice. And he gets um, mad at, at you a little bit because he says you have no sense of rhythm, right? Right. Well, it's mad. He's frustrated. And he doesn't mean for it to come off as being mad, but it can be taken that way, you know? Right. So... They they have some some ups and downs in their relationship. Um, it's not totally smooth sailing. 
So tell us the challenges for you in, in doing this role, because you're pretty much on stage the whole show. <laughs> well, um, I'd say that's almost the opposite of a challenge, because it, it makes it easier to stay within the world of the play the whole time, to not have to go off stage. And there are many scene changes, but being able to live in that world the whole time makes it easier to stay in it. Yeah, basically. I guess it does. That's a, that's a great observation because uh, uh, I, a lot of us in the audience think it's just the opposite for an actor. Hmm. Well, it does take stamina and... Um, Oh, there's something I wanted to say, but sure. I won't say it because I don't want it to ruin the end of the show. No, no. Uh, <laughs> but but what about vocally? Because in that kind of cavernous space that you're in, mm-hmm. uh, it sound it, the sound can be tough to carry. Plus, uh, right. with the background music uh, and with just the sheer size of the of the length of the stage, uh, it really makes a challenge for you to to be heard and you know for you to project to to all sides of the audience. Right. Well, the well, we do vocal warm-ups, um, and the cool thing is a lot of there are some very loud music cues, as you might remember mm-hmm. from seeing the show, and a lot of that, like one of them is the music at mine and Orpheus's wedding, and we're singing to the music at our wedding, don't sit under the apple tree, a song yeah. which you'll hear. You Cute little dance uh, number with you and uh, Peter Oilo. <laughs> Right. Um, that's a lot of fun. Well, the thing is, at your wedding, you would be singing really loud over this dance music anyways. So there's kind of, um, it's. I'd say it's pretty equivalent to doing a show in any other theater space, in any um, regular theater venue, which has 500 seats or, or something. You've got to project only this one. The difference is, that the show is taking place on all sides of you, or two sides of you, because it's like an alleyway. Um, so I've got to make sure to share with both sides. Well, it's so glad that you're such a professional to understand that and to do that, because I see many plays, seriously, uh, particularly some of the young, you know younger kids in storefront, that just have no idea that they need to project that they're in a you know a larger space. And, uh, you know, it's very frustrating when you can't hear it. Mm-hmm. I, I can imagine so, that it would be frustrating. But uh, I, I thought you and uh, and Peter really developed the key chemistry early in the play that kind of makes it all Thank work. Because if you Thank guys you. don't establish that, you know, that that, that you are this, this in love, perfect couple, mm-hmm. it, it, it makes the play kind of tough. But you guys yeah. succeeded in, in doing that. Thank you. Thank you. We have very capable director, Julie Ritchie, who's also the artistic director of Filament. Um, yeah, she, and she, she tried a lot of interesting things. Yeah, uh, she did, and she has a great um, way of rehearsing uh, a play. It's very grassroots in the sense that it comes from all the the truths about the people in the room. So instead of like putting um, blocking on actors, blocking meaning where like choreography on the stage where we're going to be, she allows um, the play to kind of grow out of the um, different performers and um, and 
and then she crafts it so everyone's really involved. And that's how the whole process was with the development of the music. It came after we were already in rehearsal. So timings and qualities of the music went along with how the characters were. So if someone else was in the role of Eurydice, then the music cue that overlays some of her dialogue would be different. It'd be a different show. Yeah, it does make sense. Well, tell us about some of the characters in the show. Uh, uh, a nasty, interesting man <laughs> and Lord of the Underworld. Tell us about that. that. That's a that's a wacky character. Yeah, definitely. Well, he um, played by Nathan Pease. He is the antagonist in the sense he lures Eurydice to her death, essentially. I hope I'm not giving too much away. No, no. A lot of people know the myth. <laughs> I think this show is, is not so much about what's going to happen, is how mm-hmm. it is how it happens. It's it's right. such a unique experience. As I said, those that saw the Victory Garden show can come and see this show. They'll mm-hmm. recognize certain things, certain, but it, it's all about how you did it. It's, it's uh, quite theatrical. Right. Well, um, Julie was really specific about how she wanted him to be in the first half nasty and interesting and kind of suave in the way that he lures Eurydice. Um, He's also extremely funny. Um, But then in the second half of the play to be still the opposite in childlike in the fact that he's childlike but really frightening by the end. Yeah, and he is. in each scene, he comes out with kind of a new trick. Um, Nathan learned how to use all these different um, things like stilts and... He just he learned the stilts shoes. for this show? Yeah, he learned wow. the stilts. And you'd be surprised. Healy shoes, you know, the shoes that a lot of... Um, Queens have, I guess, where you wheel on yeah, your... Yeah, he had to learn those, too. Yes. <laughs> so he just kind of picked up on whatever was thrown at him and really with a positive attitude. Well, add add the uh, the three that play the stones. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of a Greek chorus. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, and uh, I, I thought they were they were quite theatrical, and they added a lot to it. And they are totally different. They had senior, older senior actors in the Victory Gardens uh, mm-hmm. uh, show, but you you have uh, quite a mix of uh, of people in uh, that play the Stones in in this show. Right. Well, the the thing about the underworld is that. It's kind of as though people experience a second childhood. That's what occurs with Eurydice. And the way that Sarah Rule describes the stones in her script is as nasty children at a birthday party. And the Lord of the Underworld is also childlike. He's small. Um, I say, you're so young. Different things. So we wanted to make it kind of this Alice in Wonderland, strange experience, as described in the script. And I, um, I think it succeeds in this show quite a bit. Thank you. Yeah, it, it really does. Uh, 
Many people think that the key character in the show is the father. Yeah, and I would possibly, well, from Eurydice's perspective, agree with that because meeting him in the underworld causes such a change in her. Um, It's really a special relationship that they have, and in the first reading of the script, it's not necessarily something you realize, but over time it becomes apparent that he's really the the catalyst for the surprise at the end, which I won't say. Yeah, we'll leave that out. I, I thought, uh, is he Patrick Blaschel? Is that, am I saying his name? Yes. Right? Yeah, he was yeah. terrific. I know he's a, yeah. he's a life Lifeline Theater uh, he is. Uh, member, and I've seen him before. He's, he's one of our crew of uh, unsung uh, veteran actors who don't get enough recognition around town. Right. Well, he's just so generous. He's He makes it so easy to be on stage with him. He's giving and he's so um, giving off stage as well as on. He's a joy to work with. Yeah. Well, it's time now. Let's give a little commercial for the show. Okay. Uh, give us the details, you know where it's at it's it, you're in a terrific location um uh right off of 22nd street uh in a in a unique area of the city that that's got great parking and it's easy to get to yeah it's um at lacuna artist lofts which are at 2150 south canal port ave in pilsen which is this up-and-coming artist area um you can get to it by the red line um the Cermak Chinatown stop or the Halstead number eight bus or the Cermak 21 bus. Um, and Eurydice runs Friday through Sunday at 7.30 p.m. through May 29th. Well, that's and cool. You do you do Sunday nights. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, we that's do cool. Sunday. Yeah, not a, not a lot of theater groups do, and, and I think that could work out real well for you. Yeah, and it's it's also essential for lighting purposes because of those the the second loft space that's next to us. You can see it's quite beautiful actually. The sun coming through these windows and it creates a very different atmosphere than when it's dark. Oh, oh yeah, that yeah that that would make sense. Mm-hmm. And your show is set set in a different way that that would make mm-hmm. sense. So tell us about your experience in a in a in a in a show like this, being sort of the you're the main uh, main focus of the show. Well, it's strange because it doesn't it doesn't exactly feel like that from my perspective, but probably that's because I'm focusing on everything else that's going on. Um, it's wonderful to work with Filament because they have such a great attitude. They're very warm and welcoming. Um, And I really um, agree with their mission in terms of creating theater in a folk tradition um, and their sustainability initiative, which is all about um, like using universal human truths and we have a new sustainable business alliance with foresight design initiative so they're really great people to work with and i feel very lucky 
Well, it's more than luck. I think your 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 casting uh, was one of the keys of the show because uh, uh, I I just thought that that uh, you had that balance of of uh, uh, the you looking like you're real younger than you are, and then and then being uh, yet being in 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 command of yourself and command of the show. I think I think well, that's hard to do. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, so, you'll have to come out and see and decide for yourself. Yeah, that's true. Tell us about the 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 late night show on Fridays and Saturdays, uh, right after your show. The the loft changes quickly and becomes another show. Tell us a little yeah. about that. Okay. Well, it becomes Orpheus, which is um, a late night Dionysian retelling of the story from Ovid's Metamorphoses, like the show Eurydice. Except this show uses clowning and Buffon and um, music. As the underworld, that same space becomes a nightclub featuring DJ Puzzle as Fate. And the show was adapted and directed by um, Associate Artistic Director Omen Sade. And it's just so much fun. It's just Friday and Saturday nights at 9. And it's essentially a giant dance party experience where the show happens around you. I saw it for the first time after we opened on Friday and I had such a blast and it's fascinating and kind of disturbing at moments and funny and very touching and it's totally surprising. It sure is. And it's quite energetic. Uh, It's, it's an amazing, uh, uh, it's kind of one of those pieces where, if Omen knew better, he wouldn't have tried to do so much. But because he didn't <laughs> right. know better, he did it, and it worked. Yes, exactly. And particularly to your generation, it's a, you know it's a little hard for 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 my generation. But that's not, we're not the demographic <laughs> for the show, anyhow. Right. Well, it's, it's definitely there's seating if you like, but it's encouraged for you to stand and dance. And the music is music you would hear at a club, except. I guess. See, I'd never go to those clubs. Uh, but right. but well, uh, my mm-hmm. fellow reviewer, Will, said it's the first time he's seen anything quite like it, and he, he enjoyed it, and, and that's that, that's who the show was meant for. Good. That's good to hear. It's the first time I've seen anything like it, and I do love to go out dancing, and I have to say I wish they played more music like this out dancing. I, I'm hoping they can get a soundtrack out, actually. Cause well, I they had, yeah, they had quite a variety uh, from the uh, from the hip hop. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. There was a lot of jazz in it, and, and just every just about every kind of music. So, mm-hmm. um, at first, you know, because I'm not a hip hop fan, I'm saying, "Oh my god, I hope it's not going to be all that." And then it kept changing. I said, uh-huh. oh, that's interesting, and, you know. And there was there was enough of variety there that fit with the action because there there is storytelling going on with yeah. all this movement and with the dance. Yeah, and with the dance and different kinds of circus art, there's silks. You mentioned how there's kind of this strange parallel to looking glass. Well, there's um, aerial work and all different kinds of strange movements, and yeah. Well, it's great to see another theater company other than looking glass uh, attempting to to do some of this uh uh, energetic and, and mm-hmm. unique staging of, of the work. And I think the two, the two shows complement one another and, and, uh, 
people can have a good time coming down to uh, to the lofts uh, <laughs> to see both shows. Yeah, that's that's our hope. Well, how and how's the how the how's the show been going? Um, it's been really fun. I, we've we've had two previews. Um, which had smaller audiences, and it's interesting because Eurydice speaks directly to the audience, and they're lit. So I know who's in the audience, and if I know them, I I know that they're there. Um, so that's it's a fun, it's a fun challenge actually. Um, and we had opening night, which you were there for, yeah, and that was a lot of fun because the crowd was four times the size of anything we've ever had before. So finding out new moments that are jokes that we just have taken for granted because we've been with the script for so long, but there's just so much cleverness in it. Orpheus mentions that Eurydice shouldn't kiss a dead man because their mouths taste like oatmeal, and he knows how much I hate oatmeal. Oh, (laughs) okay. All right, because I wondered where that had come from. I would imagine a show is as provocative and as uh, uh, artistically challenging mm-hmm. as your show. I would imagine each night the audience reaction would be different. Yeah, it it actually is. There's not a way to know when to pause if you think something will be funny, because one night it is, and one night it isn't. And something that you think is funny then becomes something you realize is tragic, as in dipping someone in the river. I won't. It makes you lose your memory, but there's times where that could be funny, and then you realize it's actually a really painful, dramatic moment. So, so you, you just sort of instinctly deal with it for each, each, for each audience? Yeah, you just part of this whole process there's, uh, requires a lot of flexibility because of the nature of the space and not being a theater space. So things are in flux a lot and um, staging is in flux and I mean, seating arrangements are changing all the time. So we've just got to be fully alive um, and ready for anything, which is half the awesome fun of being in a show. Yeah, I, I would think so, uh, r- rather than just doing the same thing the same oh, way yeah. every time. Well, yeah. tell us a little bit about your background and maybe some of the things that uh, that you have coming up or, or that you'd wish to be able to do. I always <laughs> ask everybody, is there a show that they'd love to do in the future? Oh, I would love to do Romeo and Juliet, actually. I've wanted to do that for a very, very long time, but it's just never happened. Um <laughs> But, Is that a hint to Julie to uh, maybe uh, put that show on the docket in the next couple of years? Julie, are you listening? <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> um, maybe. I mean, I love working with, with Filament. They're great. It's the second time I've got to work with them. Um, I first worked with them in 2007 on the show Six Impossible Things, which was an adaptation of Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, and The Wizard of Oz, and it morphed them together into a play from basically one girl's perspective, a journey, and that was really lovely. Um, yeah. Um, and as far as other shows I've been in, I went to Northwestern University, and in... 
my sophomore year, I was in the Dyer Van Frank at Steppenwolf. That was my first professional show. I remember that, yeah. Oh, cool. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, I see everything, and I, I have this this memory for shows. Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> you in that. Oh, cool. Um, that was a really awesome experience, and um, I'm originally from Boston, and I've love living in Chicago. Um, uh, the most recently, uh, before the show, I was in Emma at the Cleveland Playhouse. And then I just actually returned from studying dance and performance art in Israel for five months oh, with well. the Artness School. Interesting. I'm sure you got an international perspective there, right? Yeah, there was um, a lot to learn, um, not just about dance and performance art, but just about life and being a more open-minded individual um, and meeting different challenges that I didn't know existed. So there was a lot of fun, too. That's, that's great. Well, continue the, the good work. Thank you. And uh, let's let's get folks out to see your show. I think. Uh, yeah. I think they would they would enjoy it, and it, and folks, it's 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 definitely worth seeing. Well, thank you for a great interview. Thank you. And thank you so thanks, much. folks, for listening. And remember, go see a play this week. <laughs>